Well, hello and welcome to another episode of CISO Tradecraft, the podcast that provides you with the information, knowledge, and wisdom to be a more effective cybersecurity leader. My name is G. Mark Hardy, and today we're going to take a look at ways our jobs stress us out and huh, some ideas for coping. Uh, this is more than just about you, sorry. As a leader, you need to be sensitive to the stress placed on and affecting your team. And if things get too bad, you might even lose key persons that otherwise might have been easy to keep on board if you had known what to look for. Now, I've had and have plenty of stress in my career and have made it this far. So let's take a way, look at ways that you can better deal with this feature of our chosen vocation. And as always, please follow us on LinkedIn and, and make sure you subscribe so you can always get the latest updates. Well, what's stress? According to the U.S. National Library of Medicine, quote, stress is a feeling of emotional or physical tension. It can come from any event or thought that makes you feel frustrated, angry, or nervous. Stress is your body's reaction to a challenge or demand. In short bursts, stress can be positive, such as when it helps you avoid danger or meet a deadline. But when stress lasts for a long time, it may harm your health. Hmm. So, what we're going to do is explore today is not the good stress, which is healthy and appropriate doses, but the bad kind. I mean, good stress, which is also known as acute stress, is that that goes away quickly. It's, it's when you feel you do something new or exciting, or maybe you see flashing lights in your rearview mirror, even though the cop zooms past you to stop someone else. Now, chronic stress, which tends to last beyond the immediate stimulus, can be due to job trouble, unhappy relationship, money problems, and yeah, for some of us, the prolonged effects of being locked down due to COVID-19. Now, left unaddressed, it can go on for months and eventually cause health problems, such as high blood pressure, obesity, depression, or even cause your skin to break out. Now, if you've been experiencing chronic stress for some time, you might have accepted that this is the new normal. Well, a good way to tell if this should not be normal is if you're experiencing regular headaches, lack of energy or focus, upset stomach, unplanned weight changes, and maybe even using alcohol or other substances to relax. The five most stressful life events are one, death of a loved one, two, divorce, three, moving, four, major illness or injury, and five, job loss. Now, I'm not certain I can do much to help you with the first four, but I'm hoping we can definitely help you avoid the last one. Now, how bad is it for us? The average tenure of a CISO is just about 26 months due to high stress and burnout. A ZDNet article points out that, quote, CISO jobs come with low budget, long working hours, a lack of power on executive boards, a diminishing pool of trained professionals they can hire, but also a constant stress of not having done enough to secure the company's infrastructure against cyber attack, continuous pressure due to newly arriving rising threats, and little thanks for the good work done, but all the blame if everything goes wrong. End quote. <clears throat> Hit a little too close to home? Well, you've got company. Doesn't make it necessarily any better. A 2019 Nominet survey of over 800 CISOs revealed that 88% of CISOs reported being, quote, moderately or tremendously stressed. I wonder what the other 12 do. 48% of the CISOs said work stress 
has had a detrimental impact on their mental health. 40% of the CISOs said that their stress levels had affected their relationships with their partners or children. 32% said that their job stress levels have repercussions on their marriage or romantic relationships. 32% said their stress levels had affected their personal friendships. And 23% of CISOs said they turned to medication or alcohol. Now, I'm going to guess that that last number may be a little underreported. Well, what are sources of stress? The CybersecurityHub.com published a graphic enumerating eight everyday situations causing CISO stress. Any of these sound familiar? Ambiguous discussions with board members and C-suite execs. Unpatched systems that will take months to remediate. Senior executive got fished. Intellectual property got stolen, and you might not even know from where it was taken. Next year's budget call asking you to demonstrate the efficacy of the tools you're using. New product launch that nobody thought needed security, but now it's here. Pen testing when you know last year's vulnerabilities are still there. And ransomware story on CNN makes everyone want you to tell them what a risk is like. What we see then is those everyday situations aren't that far-fetched. And each one of them comes built in with a certain amount of stress that makes life a little bit difficult for us in a cybersecurity leadership position. When you're dealing with board members and C-suite executives, do they know exactly what they want and how to articulate it? Can you speak their language effectively, that of risk and oversight and governance and controls, etc., that you can communicate your imperatives effectively? Because when these discussions result in a bad disconnect, it's very stressful because you then have to go back and figure out another way to approach. If you've got systems that are unpatched and it's going to take a long time to remediate it, that waiting is tough. You know there's a problem. You know you can get to it, but IT operations has got you scheduled toward the back of the queue. Something else is coming up that's more important. We're trying to close out the quarter, close out the year, close out something. That means we can't make any risky patches. And all the while, those vulnerabilities potentially could get worse and worse as new attacks are discovered. When senior executives get fished, that's a little bit tough. Uh, it happens. I've had it happen with some of my clients, and it's a little bit embarrassing. But then again, there's sort of that look like, why didn't you prevent this? Why did you let this happen to me? You can't patch everything, at least when it comes to humans anyway. We're still running version 1.0 of our operating system. But the point is, is that no matter how many defenses we put up, sometimes this still happens. And these are the issues that tend to alienate us sometimes from the senior execs who feel a bit embarrassed and to a certain extent, rightly, wrongly feel you should have been able to keep them from getting that way. How about intellectual property? The problem with IP and IP loss becomes that it can often have a very significant and detrimental effect to the organization's bottom line. If you listen to my talks that I've had about the CMMC, the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification, and also looking at things such as President Biden's executive order that he signed on cybersecurity back on the 12th of May, 2021, we'll find out that Intellectual property theft is not constrained simply to run-of-the-mill organizations. It's a national concern 
And we're finding out that ways to deal with that uh, are still coming and we haven't quite solved that problem. And yet you're going to be held accountable for that. How about next year's budget call? You've got to demonstrate the efficacy of the tools you send out. Hey, last year we gave you a million dollars for security tools and nothing happened. Why should we give you more money? Because <clears throat> uh, nothing happened. And so the difficulty there is trying to communicate to a budget process that's also and often looking for return on investment, ROI, when you're not really generating a return on investment. You don't make money by installing security precautions. You avoid loss. And then to a certain extent, then we need to think about how do we sell this as an insurance sale, not as an investment sale. But that miscommunication becomes really stressing. How about a new product launch? Yeah, uh, nobody thought they needed security. The web's going, uh, site's going up. There's a web app there. And all of a sudden they're like, oh yeah, can you take a look at this thing? We're going live on Monday. Uh, that could be a little bit stressful. Um, a requirement for recurring pen tests. If we look at the critical security controls, the CIS control set, the last one, version 7.1 when it was 20 controls and now version 8 where it's 18 controls. The last one is pen testing and it's priority. doesn't mean it's least important. It means you do it after you've done everything else. Well, what happens if you got a requirement either contractually or under something like a PCI DSS that you're supposed to do a pen test and you know that last little year's vulnerabilities are still there? That's a little bit of a stress because you know it's not going to go well. And then lastly, we hear about ransomware and it's out on the news, etc. Everybody wants you to protect against that. Everybody wants to know their risk. Why did it happen? Why is it, how can you keep it from happening to us? So all those things combined make life really, really bit of a challenge for each of us in the cybersecurity leadership role, bringing on the stress. Now, Balbix has a post that states CISOs have, quote, the toughest job in the world. Now, I don't know if it's the toughest job, but it's certainly up there. Now, their source states that 88% of CISOs consider themselves to be under moderate or high stress. And 97% of C-suite said security should deliver more value for the budget they receive. But I'm sure you already know all that from personal experience. So the interesting thing is, if uh, that is correct, with the 97%, of C-suite executives, and this is from Nominet Cyber did the, the study, uh, are, you know, the 97% are saying that we're not getting their value out of security. That's a difficult position for us to be in, trying to convince management that the investments that they're doing, which to us never seem to be enough, from their perspective, it's too much for what they're getting. And uh, all this all starts piling on. So ultimately, we got to find a way out. So how do we deal with what is inherently a job feature? High stress. Now, I guess you could pour a double, kick back, and keep listening, but that's probably not the best answer. Now, just as it takes time to build and deploy a security program in your enterprise, it takes time to build and deploy a stress reduction program in your life. Now, there isn't a quick fix. Well, I suppose you could quit your job, but you're just replacing one source of stress with another. Now, we've all heard the usual suspects, the things we're supposed to be doing. Eat healthy meals, skip junk food, exercise regularly, get plenty of sleep, avoid tobacco, moderate your alcohol intake. And that worked really well for each one of us when we're about eight years old. But 
a lot more difficult today. Now, a true gut check would involve deciding, perhaps, whether or not being a CISO is your true passion. Hmm. Now, think about it. When you really, really want something, the stress is secondary. We get absorbed in the progress to our goal. and We justify the effort to get there, both physical and mental, as worth the price. Well, let me introduce you to the way of Ikigai. The Japanese have this concept of Ikigai, spelled I-K-I-G-A-I, and it translates into reason for being. Now, to a Westerner, it looks like a Venn diagram with four overlapping circles. What you're good at, what you love, what the world needs, and what you can be paid for. Now, if we try to compare this to Western thought, in a way, it's similar to Jim Collins's big, hairy, audacious goal, or BHAG, from his book, Built to Last, Successful Habits of Visionary Companies. Now, a BHAG is something about which your team can be passionate, something you can be the best in the world at, and also drives your financial engine. But we're looking for something personal, not organizational. You know, BHAG, like SpaceX's, quote, enable human exploration and settlement of Mars, probably won't help reduce your personal stress as a CISO, but it may supercharge your troops. Mihaly Sixth Sense Mihaly, known for his work in studying happiness and creativity, is perhaps best known for his book, Flow, The Psychology of Optimal Experience. He observed that people are happiest when they're in the state of flow, a, a state of being completely absorbed with the activity at hand in the situation. It's a state in which people are so involved in activity that nothing else seems to matter. Now that helps, but his more recent research, I remember he's 86 years old, um, has been around the topic of motivation and specifically intrinsic motivation. And he found intrinsically motivated people were more likely to be goal-directed and enjoy challenges that would lead to an increase in overall happiness. Intrinsic motivation is a powerful trait to optimize and enhance positive experience, feeling, and overall well-being as a result of challenging experiences. Now, Sixth Sense Mihaly defined a new personality, a term called work orientation, which is characterized by, quote, achievement, endurance, cognitive structure, order, play, and low impulsivity. Having work orientation is a better predictor of achieving long-term goals than any school or household influence. Hmm. Okay, so back to Ikigai. The idea is if you can find something that combines all four of these things, being good at something, loving what you do, doing something the world needs, and something that you can be paid for, then you'll find a sense of meaning and fullness in your life. However, if you're missing any one of these four areas, then it can be stressful. For example, let's say you've found a job that you're good at, it pays well, when the world needs what you do. But if you don't love what you're doing, you may be financially comfortable, but you have a feeling of emptiness. Now, you can go around the diagram and find different interpretations for all of these permutations, a, a sense of satisfaction, but a feeling of uselessness if the world doesn't need what you do. 
a sense of delight and fullness, but no wealth if your passion pays very little. A sense of excitement and complacency, but a sense of uncertainty if you're not yet good at your well-paying job. And even the intersections of any two can be thought of as something that we'd recognize. A passion is what you're good at and what you love. Your mission is what you love and what the world needs. Your vocation is what the world needs and what you can be paid for. And your profession is what you're good at and what you can be paid for. Now, ultimately, we'd want to operate at the intersection of all those characteristics called ikigai, or your reason for being. So here's your reality check. Is your current job truly the intersection of these attributes? And if not, then perhaps there may be why your stress levels can get hard to manage. Now, don't forget, these principles apply to the members of your team as well. And you can and should use these ideas in mentoring and counseling. Now, going back to Sixth Sense Mihaly, he defines a spectrum of mental states based on one's skill level and the job's challenge level. Now, ideally, when your skill level is high and you're up to the task of a high challenge level, get into this flow zone. But think for a moment if any of these words describe how you feel and listen to a possible root cause. Arousal, moderate skill, and high challenge. Yeah, this is a tough job and I'm kind of interested in it. It's got me going, but I'm not really in the flow yet because I haven't mastered it. Control, high skill, and moderate challenge. You're basically large and in charge. Your skill set is more than you need to get this job done. It's pretty easy to feel in control. Relaxation, high skill and low challenge. Hey, it's you bring a lot to the table and there's not much going on. Not quite sure any of our jobs might fit into that category, but you never know. Boredom, <laughs> moderate skill and low challenge. Basically, you got mediocre skills and nothing's expected of you, so you get bored. I'm going to apathy. Low skill and low challenge. This is probably a misfit for somebody in a position for which they're not qualified that doesn't require many qualifications. Now it starts to get interesting. Worry. You tend to worry if you have a low skill set and moderate challenge ahead of you. Now you're not quite up to the challenge and you're worried whether you can make it happen. And lastly, the anxiety section, low skill and high challenge. This is a big deal and you don't know how to do it. It's like the dreams where you wake up or not, you don't wake up, you're in the middle of your dream and you, you walk into a final exam and you haven't studied for it or there's, there's all kinds of permutations of that and, and you get very anxious when this happens in real life. Now, there are many other ways that professional counselors can help diagnose reasons for stress and you should probably take advantage of that resource if things are really bad. But perhaps these models can help you gain some insight on your own. Now, one idea may be to increase your value. We've talked about ways that you can address your own approach toward a stressful security leadership job, and 
And two of the Ikigai attributes, what you're good at and what you love, are things over which you have control. Now, pursuing activities that are strong on both are less stressful, and we can also get lost in them and in a good way and even reach that point of flow. But the other two attributes, what the world needs and what you can be paid for, are external. And thus may seem like a given. Now, Dave Crenshaw's book, Invaluable, The Secret to Becoming Irreplaceable, gives some insight into how to address what the world needs. And he notes there are six invaluable factors that anyone can use. Demand, ability, irreplaceability, focus, connection, and authority. Now let's look into these and see what might be actionable. Demand. It represents how well your skill set matches the current needs and wants of the market. Now, you have little direct control over demand, so the only way you can really improve upon this factor is to increase your understanding of the current and future market trends and, and work to align your actions with those trends. Consider what's the current and future market demand for your personal skill set. Hmm. So the million-dollar question is, what skills do you need to be better? Now, to help with this, we've just created a GitHub page that outlines 10 key CISO skills that you can focus on. We'll go over this in a future episode, but if you want an early look, please go look for the link in our show. It's at github.com slant CISO tradecraft slant podcast there. A little extra for listening through. Now, second one after demand is ability. It represents how well you do what you do, or how much value you actually provide. Now, it's important to continuously deliver progress and results. It's not enough to just know what your position is supposed to be or, or how to do what's required of you. You must also seek to continually improve on that ability on a daily basis to become more and more invaluable. Now, consider what are you doing on a daily basis? regular basis to improve your ability to perform for your team and the organization as a whole. See, a lot of times as a CISO, we're placed into a reactionary role. We respond to incidents, we respond to audit findings, we respond to outages. But if we can increase our abilities, they'd be able to help us get to a proactive role. For example, how can we get better at the things that really matter that allow us to better control the future of the organization? You might find that your role involves a lot of risk management. Could you take a two-day class in this to make yourself a rock star in leading risk management activities? How might having a better ability really improve your relationship with your higher-ups? Hmm. Number three, irreplaceability. It measures how difficult it is to replace you or your job with the next best alternative. Now, this is a function of two things. The available competition for your position and how deeply you understand the unique needs of your current employer. Now, to stay irreplaceable, you must commit to ongoing research and reevaluation. Here's an interesting question to consider. What's the biggest thing keeping your boss from firing you right now? I'm not trying to get you scared or anything like that, but it's an interesting thought. Why is it they got to hold on to you? Managing up is key. Remember, if your boss knows you're dependable, now you're going to do a great job on the assignment at hand, and knows you don't need to be micromanaged, you save your boss a lot of time. And if you save your boss time and make your boss look good, 
You're going to find yourself becoming irreplaceable. Number four, focus. Focus requires you to avoid anything that gets in the way of spending time on your most valuable activities. Now, these are the activities that have the greatest impact on the bottom line, both for you personally and for the organization as a whole. The more you spread yourself out in many directions, the less valuable you become. As information available options continue to explode, so do the temptations to engage in many less valuable activities. Consider, how well do you focus your actions on your most valuable activities? So one of the challenges of cyber leadership is just so many things out there that you need to do to get it right. If you don't believe me, just try asking someone to implement every control found in NIST Special Pub 800 53, Rev 5. Don't worry, it's only 492 pages of security and privacy controls. Yeah. And as we look at all the documentation that's out there, all the standards, etc., there's a huge amount of information, a huge number of things, and we don't have unlimited budgets. So one of the things we want to do is focus on those things that work. Number five, connection. It assesses your ability to connect personality with others, both in terms of quantity and quality. See, the value that you bring is directly affected by your ability to work well with others and to share resources with others. Connection is an absolutely essential part of becoming invaluable. In order to increase connection, you must not only master the art of face-to-face interaction, but digital interaction as well. Consider... How many people at work feel personally connected to you? Now, at the end of the day, most people won't remember what you told them. They'll remember how you made them feel. I learned that from T. Harbecker. They'll remember that you demonstrated confidence and that they could trust you to handle it. Now, are you spending enough time building these relationships? Remember, it's a lot easier to ask a favor from a friend than from a stranger. We need to build these types of connections in the workplace so that we can work together as a team. For some of us, we might call that layer eight, then the network stack, the politics. But it's important. If you haven't done the the prep work to get to know folks, it's going to be harder to convince them of something that may be new and risky. And number six of Crenshaw's list is authority. Authority evaluates how strongly the current market considers you to be a top expert in your field. And authority is someone others look to when they make decisions. An employee who's recognized both inside and outside of the organization as a leading expert dramatically improves your value. Consider, do my peers, both inside and outside, consider me to be a leading expert in that field and am I regularly consulted on matters at work? Now, we all have things that we're good at, and as a cyber executive, obviously you need to be good at cyber, but also understanding risk and leading teams. And if not, then quite honestly, you might be in the wrong job, which of course can stress you out. If you're not an authority just yet, find a way to get better. Bring in a smart deputy that can help you in areas in which you're weak. For example, maybe you get the technology part and you can lead change, and but budget and Resource management are not your strengths. You might not be detail-oriented. That can be okay if you can find deputies and leaders who help you perform at a competent level for that. No one knows everything, and so it's important to get real feedback from your boss 
and to know yourself. If you do this, then you can be the authority figure that the organization needs. See, being a good leader is about focusing on what's really important. What you want to do is find about half a dozen areas that you really are going to concentrate on and then execute on your plan and learn to say no to what's not important, regardless of how bright and shiny that object might be. See, if you spread yourself too thin, that's a rookie mistake that seasoned executives have learned to avoid. So how do we wrap this up? I mean, stress in the right amounts can be motivating and even healthy. And being well-equipped for a well-resourced job, taking care of yourself physically, mentally, spiritually, as well as truly enjoying your line of work go a long way toward keeping away bad stress. But if things feel completely out of control, don't be afraid to ask for help. If a situation is causing you physical and mental harm, your ego is the least important thing to defend. But if it seems manageable, then hopefully the insights from this program should help. Well, that's it for today's show. We hope you've enjoyed learning about Ikigai, Six Sense Mahaley's insight into flow and motivation, and, and Dave Crenshaw's Six Invaluable Factors. And remember, if you'd like to learn more, look at the description of the episode for helpful links to our content. And also, don't forget to check out the GitHub page for CISO Tradecraft. We've got a new page that allows you to see our podcast organized by topic to help you improve. And again, github.com slant CISO Tradecraft slant podcast. Again, this is G. Mark Hardy. Thanks again for listening to our show, and I'll talk to you again soon. Stay safe.